There's a popular saying in presidential politics. It's the economy, stupid. It's the economy, stupid. It's still the economy, stupid. It's the economy, stupid. How many times have we heard that? We hear it every election. Because time after time, American voters say the economy is their top issue. This election cycle is no different. So today, we'll look at how President Donald Trump has handled the economy over the last four years. We built the greatest economy in history, and now we're doing it again. Make America great again, again. And how former Vice President Joe Biden might handle the economy over the next four years. This is our moment to imagine and to build a new American economy. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Tuesday, October 27th. Coming up on the show, Trump's record and Biden's plan for the U.S. economy. This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. Trump's first term in office is a tale of two economies. There was an economy that was going along pretty well until coronavirus struck. And then there was an economy that was shut down in a state of upheaval, unlike anything we've seen after coronavirus struck. That's our colleague John Hilsenrath, who covers the economy. John says that Trump inherited an economy that had been growing steadily but slowly for close to a decade— at a rate of two and a quarter percent a year. And when Trump took office, he promised that as president, he would speed up economic growth. And he did. Growth rose to two and a half percent during Trump's first three years. How did Trump try to boost economic growth? What were his strategies? There were three key pieces of the president's economic plan. The first piece was cutting regulation. And there, there was a marked, marked slowdown in the pace of new regulations under Trump. Trump introduced fewer regulations and tried to cut existing ones. The White House says the Trump administration actually cut 22 regulations for every new one. Trump started with regulations passed late in the Obama presidency. The Trump administration definitely started out aggressively. They were able to overturn 15 Obama-era rules under a process called the Congressional Review Act, which allows a new president to remove rules put in place late in a preceding president's term with the cooperation of Congress. He also repealed the Clean Power Plan, net neutrality, and rules around overtime pay. Trump also wanted to cut hundreds of other regulations, but couldn't. Many of his efforts were challenged in court and are still tied up in litigation. What impact did reducing those regulations have on economic growth? It's very hard to put a hard number on it, but you could look for indicators. 
It is the case that growth accelerated modestly, and it might be the case that deregulation or the slowdown of the regulatory state, as I would call it, contributed to that. The second thing Trump did was cut taxes. We will benefit from the massive tax cuts that we have in place. We have At the end of 2017, Trump cut individual income taxes, including a 3% cut for people on the top income bracket. But John says the bigger impact on the economy was what the president did to corporate taxes. Trump cut the corporate tax rate from 35% down to 21%. The president didn't really do anything special on reforming the individual income tax rate. Where he did have an impact is on corporate taxes. What he did was he brought the corporate tax rate in line with tax rates for companies in many other countries. The U.S. corporate tax rate was much higher than it was even, you know, in many European countries, which are seen as being higher tax economies. They don't tax corporate profits as aggressively as the United States did. And that's why, you know, you ended up seeing a lot of American companies setting up their headquarters outside of the U.S. So he cut the corporate tax rate, and that was meant to bring investment home. The president's argument here was that if you cut taxes and you deregulate the economy, there will be more economic growth, presumably, because there's less rules, you can move faster, less taxes, you can put more of that back into the economy. Absolutely. That's the theory, though. But did it work? Did the combination of tax cuts and deregulation boost the economy? The president's policies, in particular his tax policies, were meant to boost investment in the U.S. economy. And we were seeing a pickup in investment leading up to and after the corporate tax cut. It just didn't last, in part because of the trade conflicts. Trade, after deregulation and taxes, was the third piece of Trump's economic growth strategy. Trump thought that by boosting U.S. exports, he could revive American manufacturing. We can no longer tolerate unfair trading practices. The days of the United States being taken advantage of are over. The U.S. has a trade deficit, which means it imports more goods than it exports. It also means that a lot of the stuff Americans buy is made in other countries. We have almost an $800 billion a year trade deficit with other nations. Unacceptable. The president had a view that our trade deficit is a sign of economic weakness, a sign that other countries are taking our money, basically. And one of the first areas Trump focused on was steel. Steel is steel. You don't have steel, you don't have a country. Trump wanted to reverse the industry's decades-long decline. So he made it more expensive for companies in other countries to sell their steel in the U.S. with the idea that this would help U.S. steelmakers. You know, he started out going after steel exporters to the United States on countries like Korea, Brazil, and some allies. Some of the steel importers negotiated exemptions. But Trump broadened his campaign to include other industries in other countries. He started out with Canada and Mexico, and he really moved on to China in the second phase of it, and that became the focus of his policy. Then countries retaliated. China put tariffs on all kinds of U.S. products, including corn, wheat, and soybeans. 
and the European Union put tariffs on everything from American motorcycles to orange juice. All of this made U.S. products more expensive for consumers in other countries. So how would you say what the overall effect was on the U.S. economy from this trade strategy? You know, we did have a pickup in manufacturing employment during the president's first three years in office. It just didn't last. Exports slowed during the president's first three years. And as a result of that, trade was actually a drag on economic growth. Now, when I talk to the president's economic advisors, they say, well, it was a price that we had to pay in the short term in order to get ourselves in a better position in the long term to compete on a global landscape. So deregulation and tax cuts may have been helpful to the economy, but then Trump's trade policies sounds like kind of canceled them out. But the economy still grew during Trump's presidency. So how is that possible? If you actually break it down, what really drove the pickup, the acceleration in growth, was government spending. In 2019, Trump worked with Republicans in Congress to lift government spending caps that had been imposed on President Obama. And with a free reign to increase government spending, Trump dramatically increased the military budget. We have the best missiles and rockets and tanks and planes. There was a boom in spending on defense and also non-defense areas. Without that pickup in government spending, the expansion looked the same for the Obama presidency and the expansion phase of the Trump presidency. That expansion, even though it wasn't as big as Trump had promised, did help drive the jobless rate to the lowest levels since the 1960s. And that meant that companies had to fight more to hire workers. What do companies have to do when they're fighting for workers? They have to bid up wages. We saw increases in people who were disabled leaving the disability roles and taking gainful employment because companies just had such a demand for workers. The president talks about this all the time, and it's absolutely true that there were really important gains for the black community. African-American poverty is at the lowest rate ever recorded. My administration is delivering for African-Americans like never before. You know, the president points to the fact that black poverty, for the first time on record, went below 20 percent, which is an astonishing statistic when you think about it, that like black poverty has never been below 20 percent. Well, it got below 20 percent in 2019. He rightfully points to the fact that household incomes, median household incomes, rose more in 2019 than they had in years, more than 6%. Then, in March, the coronavirus changed everything. The COVID-19 pandemic has led to historic job losses and an economy on the verge of a recession. A record 20.5 million Americans lost their jobs in April, and now the country's facing unemployment numbers not seen since the Great Depression. And the worst GDP drop in history last quarter. All of those gains reversed themselves. Years of gains are unwound in a matter of weeks. The unemployment rate shoots up. So all those low-income workers, all those low-skill workers, all those people who got high school degrees but not college degrees, 
In response to this economic shock, the Trump administration worked with Congress to pass a $2.2 trillion pandemic relief package that helps support businesses and households through the spring. How effective was that bill? Most economists that I talked to would say that it provided a really essential bridge from the worst of this pandemic in March and April. It built a bridge into the summer and fall for the economy and created an environment where the first steps towards recovery could be taken. But it wasn't a complete bridge. We're not out of the woods. The virus is still here and the economy is still struggling. We still have a lot of work to do on containing the virus's spread, and we're seeing it continue to spread now, and also rebuilding everything that was lost in those really essential months of the spring and summer. The economy has a long way to go to get back where it was in the spring. The U.S. lost 22 million jobs in March and April, and at least 10 million of those jobs haven't come back yet, according to the most recent data. And the rate of job growth is slowing. The risk now is that the longer this draws on, the greater the risk that those temporary job cuts become permanent job cuts and that it takes time to climb out of this hole. Trump's plan for the next four years? My plan will crush the virus and we're going to have a boom like you've never seen before. John says a second Trump term would have more of the same policies, more tax cuts, more deregulation, and doubling down on trade. And in the short term, more stimulus. After the break, we dive into Joe Biden's economic plan. How well do we know the people we work with every day? We share lunches, jokes, and deadlines, but are we aware of the unseen struggles we often face silently? Stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or feeling misunderstood at work. Through insight, awareness, and empathy, we can start to better see the issues our coworkers are dealing with, and that can make us and our companies healthier, too. Join Holly Robinson-Pete and her guests on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. This episode is brought to you by Mercury. There's an art to making the complex feel simple. Everything should be in sync so that even the smallest part serves a bigger purpose. Simplicity can transform your business operations. That's why Mercury powers your financial workflows from the bank account, giving ambitious companies like yours the precision, control, and focus they need to perform at their best. Apply in minutes at mercury.com. Former Vice President Joe Biden's economic plans are very different from President Trump's. If you're a middle-class family, you're getting hurt badly right now. My entire campaign is built upon a simple concept. It's time to reward hard work in America, not wealth. People are making six, seven, eight bucks an hour. They deserve a minimum wage of $15. Joe Biden has been working in the public sector for most of his adult life. And he believes in the government and he believes in a role for the government in trying to help on issues that matter to Americans. What does 
Biden say he wants to do to try to fix the economy that's been so devastated by the pandemic? You know, the view of Democrats is that you can't fix the economy. You can't get everybody back to work unless you address the pandemic itself. Even if you open up, people aren't going to just get on airplanes and go into movie theaters. You're not going to get the economy back to normal until there's confidence in the country that you can go back to normal without putting your life in danger or your grandparents' life in danger. And so Vice President Biden talks a lot about policies to manage and contain the virus, you know, national mask policy. What I would do is make sure we have everyone encouraged to wear a mask all the time. A more aggressive testing strategy. I would make sure we move in the direction of rapid testing. More aggressive contact tracing strategies and more coordinated efforts on carefully managed reopening. I would make sure that we set up national standards as to how to open up schools and open up businesses so they can be safe. And give them- Those are all health measures that Biden is talking about. What economic policies does he have more generally? Vice President Biden and the Democratic Party want to increase the corporate tax rate. They don't want to send it back to where it was when President Trump cut it, but they want to increase it. And they also want to increase taxes on wealthy households, households earning $400,000 a year or more. And what would Biden spend that money on? Biden has an aggressive spending plan in areas like infrastructure and energy and environment. He wants to spend and invest on solar and wind power, on alternatives to carbon industries you would see in a Biden administration a much more aggressive regulatory stance. He has said that he wants to rejoin the Paris Accord. What Biden says is that his energy policies and his climate policies will create jobs. When I think about climate change, the word I think of is jobs. I want to also ask about trade quickly. Obviously, Trump has made trade a huge part of his platform. What has Biden said about trade? Biden has said he wants to rethink the tactics of tariffs. He wants to repair relations with allies that Trump targeted with tariffs and other sanctions. And at the same time, he wants to talk about building a united front to take on China with American allies. We're going after China in the wrong way. We poked our finger in the eye of all of our allies out there. So stepping back for a second, how different would you say Biden's plan for the economy is versus Trump's approach to the economy while he's been in office? I think there are real and substantive differences. I think that on trade, Biden is going to be more collaborative and Trump would be more combative. I think on taxes, Biden wants higher taxes and higher income households and corporations, and Trump wants to find new ways to cut taxes. On regulatory policy, Biden wants to increase regulation in areas like climate and probably on labor. And Trump is going to look for new ways to cut regulation. When it comes to spending, I don't think either party shows any sign of restraint. The Republicans did show signs of restraint when Barack Obama was president, but none when their guy was president. But when it comes to government spending, I think... Policy is dictated by who's got the pen in his hand. We've talked about James Carville's famous quote from the 92 election, it's the economy stupid. 
For those who are just looking at the economy, how would you lay out the choice that voters have between Biden and Trump? You know, referring back to James Carville, what I would say in this election cycle is it's it's the crisis, stupid. That like that's what this is about. You cannot separate out the the path of the economy from the path of the coronavirus crisis. The economic policy framework is meaningless if whoever is the next president can't handle this crisis. That's all for today, Tuesday, October 27th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.